Yeah, it seems like uh, from from the year that brought us four months of April, we're now getting three days of election. <laughs> the United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more in taxes. Oh my, yeah, it's wild, but it's getting, um, it's getting closer in terms yeah, of- Yeah, it um, is. And Biden, Biden's leading a pretty fair margin right now in Nevada. Um, yeah. 84% reporting and, but the mail-in ballots are overwhelmingly democratic. So I, I assume that he's going to keep that. If he gets mm -hmm. Nevada, then he's at 270. He's, he's at the threshold that he needs. Like Trump could win Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia. Even Pennsylvania, Biden's starting to edge Trump out there. He, Trump's only beating Biden in Pennsylvania by 64,000 votes in the, in yeah. the gap keeps close. It's it's gotten smaller and smaller as, as the day's gone on. In Georgia, Trump's only beating Biden by 3,000 votes. And that gap's been getting smaller all day. Wow. And because of the fact that the mail-in ballots are overwhelmingly Democratic, those states might flip for Biden. But even if they Absolutely. don't, and he gets Nevada, then that's it. He's, he's got all the electoral votes he needs, and he's the next president. So as we're recording this on... November 5th evening. Yeah, we should say the, the date and time just because of how fast things are changing. So it sounds like if Biden can win in Nevada, then he's won the election, even if Trump wins Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alaska. Is that right? Um, yeah. I mean, so Biden has a pretty solid lead right now in Nevada with 84% reporting. Right. And, and just a reminder, most most of the mail in ballots that are coming in are overwhelmingly Democratic. Right. And that's just because based on polling, based on data analysis, I mean, we've known this for weeks that more Democrats were going to be likely to mo vote by mail. All right. Because they were more likely to take the virus seriously, more Republicans more um, likely to vote in person. Yeah, if, if he takes, so he's at 264 right now. If he takes Nevada, that's six electoral votes. That puts him at 270. Right now, no um, Trump is leading still in Pennsylvania with 89% reporting. But I've been watching this one all day. Well, I mean, I've been watching this one and Georgia all day. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, he's leading, Trump's only leading by it was 65,000 votes. Now it's only 62,000 votes that he's leading by. And, and that's the electoral votes. In Georgia, Trump's only leading Biden by three, like, like 3,000 electoral votes. And, and again, the, the gap with 99% reporting. But again, the gap keeps getting smaller and smaller. So he could. I would not be surprised if Biden took Pennsylvania. I think he, there is a possibility, too. He can. He could take Georgia once all is said and done. Either way, Trump Trump could take those. Trump could take Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Alaska, and Georgia. All Biden needs is Nevada, and he wins the election. Wow. Yeah, and like you're saying, um, I know when I was working on getting people out to vote, like there were quite a few people, like 
it seemed like I was t- when I was talking to Democrats, they were like, oh, yeah, I already voted. I sent my ballot in. And then I would ask, like, Trump supporters, evidently, like, OK, like, you know, are you sending your ballot in? And they'd be like, no, I'm going to go vote. You know, I'm not going to not going to get my ballot. You know, they think it's a scam. And it's interesting because that's what a lot of like the Trump um like rhetoric has been that like Malin is a scam and i think like in the past couple hours he actually tweeted um stop the fraud <laughs> uh all caps yeah, of saying, course he's saying yeah he's saying stop the counting and also we we need to recount so uh, so what he, is it <laughs> he, he's, he's just all over the place and he gave a press conference a couple minutes ago and i, I didn't watch it but i'm hearing about it on twitter mm-hmm I guess he's basically saying more of that and it looks like he mentioned detroit probably like signaling to white supremacists um as as he does right when he talks about like oh proud boys stand back and stand by i'm sure i'm sure he said something similar um with respect to detroit but yeah, i mean he's he's just all over the place and i think it just speaks to like his campaign this time around has been really terrible. I mean, I, I argue, I, I, I've made the argument that Trump's campaign in 2016 was pretty solid. He was able to paint Hillary Clinton as, you know, oh, she represents the establishment. She represents the status quo. Um, she's bought and owned by Wall Street. She was in favor of all these wars and these trade deals. I'm against all this stuff. I'm going to drain the swamp. Now he's been president for four years. He's in bed with Wall Street. He's continuing all the wars. He's outsourced more jobs um, than even Obama did in his last four years in office. And, you know, combine that with COVID and the economic implosion, which he's just been an abysmal failure on. And it's like, yeah, his, um, <laughs> it's, 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 just, it's, it's just imploded on him. And his political, in- I feel like he's been in the white house so long he's been drunk on fox news for so long that his his political instincts are just totally gone and and he can't he can't see straight and that's why he's going out there half the time painting joe biden as like sleepy joe ineffective can't do anything but he's also a marxist radical he's gonna take over the suburbs and which one is it you know (laughs) yeah and and when you're all over the place like that and, and that that rhetoric only works on people who are already diehard Trump people like it, it right. doesn't work on people who you know are the genuine silver voters who you need yeah absolutely and what else I think is really interesting about this election so far from like what we can see is that a lot of people did not sit out the election like there has been record number of turnout um and that's even despite you know I just hope that we don't hear the rhetoric um, about like leftists and how, well, you guys, you know, didn't have Bernie Sanders, so you didn't get out and vote. Because that's the thing is that a lot of left wing people did, especially like Gen Z and like these young folks, like they did go out and vote for Joe Biden, even though they do not like him. And I just really hope that that gets the coverage that it deserves. I've seen, I mean, I've multiple tweets of people like, like centrist media pundits who are like, oh, this is why left-wing politics doesn't work. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, Joe Biden is edging Trump out. Are, um, but honestly, like, like, I think the fact that it's 
this is, is a pretty damning indictment on the country. Like, this dude has been an abysmal failure. Like, you should be able to run a ham sandwich against him and win. <laughs> like, it, like it, I, Which I, we like, pretty much did. <laughs> like, this should not be a hard race. And the fact that it's this close, it's like, really? Pennsylvania, Ohio? These states are this this close? Um, yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. Um, I th I think like it out, but I well, it's it's just further evidence. I think that like the country is, you know, and this is said all the time. The country is extremely divided. But what I think that it comes down to is this difference of principles. Whereas there are people out there who think who are like working from a base of like, listen, like I've worked for everything I have. I'm super against socialism. Like, we need to get back to, like, you know, family values type of mindset. And then there are people who think that, you know, there needs to be, like, greater access. There needs to be more, like, government intervention into certain things. And that's kind of where I see the divide. But what's also interesting is, like, you're, there's this added piece of it where he's not a normal Republican, but he's also, like, incredibly outspoken and racist. And I think that those are the things that Democrats often like target our um, critiques of him on, like the fact that he's like, I mean, pretty much a white supremacist. I mean, it's he's made it abundantly clear, like when he refused to denounce the KKK, he refused to denounce, you know, he even said like proud, proud boys, uh, you know, stand by. So it's just very interesting to me that like, like you're saying that the election results are this close um despite all of that like it's more than ideology at this point an ideologue by any stretch of the imagination like when he ran the first time he bucked republican orthodox in like a million like he came out against free trade he came out against the wars he came out against wall street like he he bucked all these wing positions but he still won like and, and he's still overwhelmingly loved in the republican party and I think it speaks to how people in this country aren't really divided over policies. They're divided over labels, right? So you can uh, a label in front of you, whether it's Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative or whatever. And people, depending on how well they associate themselves with that label, they'll gravitate towards you irrespective of what the policy is. And, and we have, a, there's a couple of, I mean, there's tons of examples of this, but just one question. Um, Florida voted to um, raise their minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. And now it, it happens for over, over a few years, but they also voted for Trump. So, and there's examples of, of, of these ballot, like left-wing ballot initiatives winning in states that either didn't vote for the Democrat or they, or they, they voted for the Republican. A ton, a ton of in 2018. But again, you have this instance where most people for the Republican presidential candidate who's against raising the minimum wage, but they're also voting to raise the minimum wage. All right. So right. Like they, if you if you if you show people the policy just at face value, like, hey, universal health care, raising the minimum wage. Um, uh, what's another? free college? That's another one that has well over majority. People will like it and vote for it. But if you attach a label in front of something like Democrat or like socialism, that's what, you know, makes sort of 
run off to their partisan corners and, and get, um, you know, and get hostile with one another. And that's right. That's a big problem. It absolutely is. And I think like it's it's interesting to me because I think that it's a problem that results in um, the type of presidency that we are seeing today. I mean, like there there are people who like truly do have the values of like, um, you know, pull, pull yourself up by the bootstraps type of mentality. And I think um, I'm not going to say that there's nothing wrong with that, because I think that, you know, the principles that I uh, go in, my worldview is just different than that. But I think that it it becomes a problem when you are willing to overlook racism and you're willing to overlook, you know, millions of people being unemployed, millions of people without health insurance. Um, and it's just very interesting to me because like this presidency, I mean, it, it appears like, you know, we may have, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to declare anything yet, but it, it seems like there is record turnout for Joe Biden, but at that point, the question then becomes like, okay, so what's next for America? Because if it's going to be, I guess, like, what are the candidates going to look like in four years? You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of liberals, <laughs> um, a lot of, you know, well-to-do, well-off suburban liberals, that's something that they, that's a conversation that they don't really want to have. You know, a lot of people mm. just think once Trump is gone, Everything's good. Everything's back to normal. I'm comfortable. I'm not offended by the president or, you know, the president, you know, isn't saying offensive things anymore. And what they're not really considering is that, yeah, even if Trump, Trumpism is still going to be alive and well, and you're still going to have this subset of the population that has been totally propagandized by not only him, but right wing media and, and who is totally out of touch with reality. I mean, I'm seeing on, I'm seeing on Instagram and Facebook and a lot of, you know, my social media feeds, people talking about, oh, yeah, um, like sharing memes of like, you know, guys pulling ballots out of trucks, like, oh, here's the emergency Democratic votes. And it's like, like, <laughs> like, they, I mean, we've been talking about this for weeks. All right, how there would be this this red mirage effect of like it looks like Trump's leading initially, and then yeah, once all of the mail-in votes come in because more people, more people who buy mail are going to tend to be Democratic, just based on polling data that we have, that yeah, that then that's going to move the the it's going to tick the vote up for Biden. We we've known that, and they 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 don't they don't see that because they they they've been getting told. Oh, it's going to be a fake election. It's going to be fraudulent. Uh, but to go back to the earlier about how dualism, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That right. kind of mindset really started um, during the Reagan era, during the conservative revolution in the United States, when we sort of moved away from New Deal economics to Reaganomics and into neoliberalism. And there's a great book called Reaganland by Rick Perlson. And uh, I mean, this book, massive it's like a, it's like a doorstop but it but it's it's so good um and he talks about a lot of these these phrases like um you know like like government mindset like the reason why this was used and why this was popularized because government literally is that can stop a bank or financial institution from ripping you off it's the only force that can stop um coal fire power um, 
from polluting the environment. Um, and also the, the concept of um, individualism or individual liberty, you know, oh, if, oh, if we if we place the onus on the individual, then we can ignore um, systemic racism, then we can ignore broader um, systems of, of, of injustice and systems of oppression that fuel injustice. And that was basically they have as a justification for, for doing those things. Like, oh, you know, we, we don't have to look at the broader, you know, systemic issues, the societal failings on our part. You know, we can just, you know, you've failed as an individual, right? You're, you're, you're not a good person because, you know, you're in the position that you're in, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that type of mindset, like as popular as it is, I think it's really destructive because like what you end up getting is like a bunch of people who are abused by the system, are abused by corporations and are exploited and they don't realize it because they've been essentially tricked into this culture that leads them to believe that if you take government assistance that you're weak. You know, if you expect handouts, i.e. healthcare, which is a human right, um, or having your water turned off or, you know, having a pipeline built through your land, like we, we live in a society now where like, um, people think that that type of thing is okay because of this brainwashing. And that's interesting that it began in the Reagan era, but I, I would argue, I think that what you're talking about, like the, the, <laughs> I'm going to say neoliberal because that's what it is. I think it was reinvigorated by Reagan for sure. But I think like, I mean, John Locke, right? Like right from the beginning with the, well, you know, if I, what is it? Apples? I think he says like, if I like pick apples and I make them into an apple pie or whatever, like that's, those are the fruits of my labor, haha, pun intended. And <laughs> like, therefore, like I have the rights to my own labor. And like, I think that like, like the fact that we have like built our society up from that, we were kind of like um, bound to get into some trouble with that. But I think now, you know, it's at the point where it's so completely like morphed and um, it's just out of control. But those incentives, yeah, I mean, those incentives have always been there. And, and I think we talked about this on the podcast, but I know we talked about it sort of on our own, at least. During the Great Depression, it was, it was the same kind of rhetoric, like people felt ashamed if they had to take government assistance, even though the economy was imploding, and people couldn't find jobs, or the jobs they could find didn't pay enough. And there was like this, this stigma out there of like, oh, if you need help, it's it's a character flaw on your part right and this goes back to like um the poor law established in england like around the 1600s i don't remember the specifics about them we talked about them in in a class of mine though about how there were like these laws established that said you know if you take um government assistance here there would be a negative connotation associated with you basically and i think i don't even know if a lot of people who like identify with being conservative i don't even know if they they understand that that's like i don't i don't know how they mean bad right like a lot of people identify with the label of being conservative and sort of everything that's intermingled with that individualism pull yourself or by your bootstraps yada 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 and i don't think that they consider the, like the history that's associated with those terms or the, or those ideas or the implication that they 
fun society. Again, they're just appealing to the party, basically, of, of being a conservative. And the side effect is they end up voting for a guy who, you know, just really, we talked about this, rolled back EPA regulations that's gonna, that are going to end up poisoning the water supply of over a million people because it'll save the industry money. It's like, that's not a guy who's looking out for you. That's not somebody who, and a lot of people on the receiving end of that policy probably went and voted for Trump. So it really shows, again, how label, how personality ride um, the actual policies or the actual issues. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think like another thing that's like disturbing is that these are the types of policies that always hurt working people. Um, like, I think one of the devastating effects of this election, like despite the fact that, you know, as we're speaking, the president has still not been called is like, there was a uh, proposition on the ballot in California, um, which was heavily, heavily lobbied by uh, companies like Uber and Lyft and all those like, you know, those gig jobs where um, it would have essentially like um, entitled their uh, employees to labor protections um, if, you know, they like drive for Lyft or if they drive for Uber. But Unfortunately, I think because of that heavy lobbying and because of the fact that they sent um, different like uh, mailers to people's houses that said like, this is progressive, like it's giving workers rights, like they totally uh, won, like this ballot proposal won, uh, which is really bad news. This is Prop 22. And since that, the stocks for Uber and Lyft are up 11%. Oh, that's, that's the thing that... <laughs> That reminds me of like talks about the gig economy, how they're like, oh, this is great. Everybody can do all these different things and experiment with. It's like, no, it's not great. People, <laughs> people shouldn't have to work full time as a teacher than drive for Lyft at night. All right. No. Like that's, that's the way. And, 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 you know, if someone wants to work for Lyft full time, that's fine. But they should, yes, they should have labor protections. They should be entitled to a living wage and good benefits and, and a pension and all that. Because the company... <laughs> The company obviously has them to do those things, but it just, yeah, I mean, that goes back. That reminds me of the history of the, the labor strikes in Detroit back yeah. in the early 1900s. Really called them, they would do sit down strikes where they would basically sit on the factory equipment so that the mm -hmm. managers couldn't replace them literally because they would just warms my heart yeah. <laughs> to but, think about, <laughs> but they would, they, what well, the things they would say about these guys. Oh, they're communists. They're they're in bed with like the you know the because that was when the Russian Revolution was happening. So oh, mm -hmm. these guys are you know they need to be put down, right? And we're gonna hire private security, or we're gonna have the police come and, and put them down. It's just it's so gross and it's so propagandistic. It is, and that's it's a shame because I think that like workers' rights are not they're definitely at the top of like people like you and I's minds, right? Like democratic socialists or, you know, especially like people on the farther left, like farther left than us, that's the top of their thing. Um, and it's interesting because I don't think that that is something that really decided this election. Like if I had to pick the number one contributing factor to the results so far, I'm thinking it's the coronavirus. I'm thinking like Trump, you know, the handling of the virus and like how he like was anti-mask for so long or at least appeared that way um and how he like didn't really like take any 
Um, executive action yeah exactly exactly i i'm going with the coronavirus so what what would you say the number one contributing factor is for these results that we're looking at covid and i'd say number two is the economy Um, yeah those are right are the top issues on people's minds and i think those are things that trump has just completely botched i mean i (laughs) hate that came out of him talking to Bob Woodward about how in in damning because he did that call where he talked about how it had, it has a higher mortality rate than the flu. It spreads through the air and therefore could be prevented with a mask. It, it, it affects some children. And then he went out to a rally and called it a hoax. He downplayed it for months. He tweeted out statistics saying, Oh, it's, it's actually less deadly than the flu when he was just talking about a month ago about how it wasn't. Right. And then in August, he was, oh, we need to send the kids back because they're basically immune. See, to me, that really solves the mystery of, okay, is, is he evil or is he just incompetent? Like in that case, mm-hmm. he's just evil because he knows the effects that it has. And he's choosing to downplay it because he doesn't cause a panic. Right, and that's the panic he's well, talking about. Well, we got one anyway. <laughs> but he botched that and he botched the economic response. Like people are, I mean, death rate, compare our death rate to Germany. And it's like off the yeah. charts and the economy, you know, not providing material support to people. All right. Letting corporate America, basically the treasury at the behest of Steve Mnuchin. All right. And it's just, it's, it's been a disaster. And I, and I think people, most people, uh, well, there's, there's enough people at least to, to realize that. Right. Absolutely. What role do you think, um, that VP pick of Kamala Harris played. Biden obviously did a black vote, despite his history with outsourcing. So picking may have helped get get them out mm-hmm. and get them to the polls. But that, that's another thing about it. black community really showed up for this guy. Who has yeah, they did. Showed up for them, and he owes them everything. And that's right. I really hope that he does deliver and I hope that he does, um, you know, institute some real criminal justice reform um, as his ads, you know, said that he would. So let's let's hope. Right. But from from the campaign trail, I don't know. But I I, I would say that, like, um, I agree with you. I don't think that it was it was so much the picking of Kamala Harris, but I from the black voters that I talked to, it seems like obviously they were very concerned with like the amount of social unrest that's going on. It's it's bringing these racial issues more to light. So I think that like my point is the Black Lives Matter movement also really drove home um, the the amount of success that Biden is having. Or the black community is basically voting voting for Biden because they're seeing how I mean Trump the looting starts the shooting starts oh <laughs> yeah peaceful protesters sending federales to um cities uh, kidnapping people extrajudicially you think they're looking at that and okay i gotta vote for biden because this guy is just i i mean anything but this guy basically right that- absolutely which is interesting to me because they really didn't turn out to vote for hillary clinton and that was i suppose that was before we actually had trump as a president right so like people didn't realize like how bad it would get but i'm just thinking back to 2016 and like his rhetoric on the campaign trail then um versus hers and like a lot of black voters um come from like lower income areas where 
there is record low turnout only because people feel completely abandoned by the system, which of course you and I would agree that they have every right to feel that way. But it's interesting that like black voters were more willing to show up for Joe Biden than they were for Hillary Clinton. Why do you think that is? Now Trump actually has a governing record and people know how bad it, how bad it can get. Like we're in a totally different place now than we were in 2016. And, you know, there's a lot less people who third party this time around than did in 2016. Yeah. Again, just because oh, I think- Oh, so in, many less. Yeah, because I think in general, again, people realize how high, high the stakes are. And they're like, you know, yeah, what am I going to do? There are a lot of people out there <laughs> who like to shame people who don't vote for either Joe or Trump. And they say, oh, you're privileged. You know, you have the convenience of sitting this out because, you know, you're not affected by what Trump's going to do if he gets another four years. Most of the people take that option, who take that road, who say, no, you know, I'm neither side represents me. I'm checking out are black people and income people and people of color. All right. Yep. So ironically, when, when people who usually come from pri privilege, people who are actually comfortable in their economic position, when they project those arguments out there and say, oh, no, you're privileged. No, actually, those are those are the most underprivileged people out there. Those are the people who Barack Obama come to Flint and drink the water and say, oh, or pretend to drink the water and say, oh, everything's going to be OK. And I think yeah, that, that was disgusting. That, that hurt with Clinton in 2016 when they learned number one, when Barack Obama did that, but when she came to Flint and she had the debate and we learned after that she had gotten the questions advanced and that it was all just, just, just to show, I think that really like put an out of a lot of people who just felt like they were left behind for so long. I mean, and obviously it's, I mean, the Republican party is not going to represent them, but even the left-wing party now who nominally is supposed to be the, the alternative they're not they're not representing now now either and i think that was that was probably the mindset in 2016 yeah absolutely and i i think that's a really good point and i i wonder if you know with so many um disadvantaged people and so many progressive people coming to vote for joe biden like are the Democrats just going to say, yeah, we can just keep doing this? Like, we can just keep winning? Are they going to learn their lesson that it is possible to elect this demagogue, this like level of demagoguery without some type of progressive platform? Because he did say, yeah, I'm in favor of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. In fact, I brought that up on one of my phone calls with voters. And he was like, he did? He said that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, well, you know, um, policies like that where you're actually taking into consideration the needs of the working class. I just don't know if that message is going to get to the top in terms of the Democratic establishment. I don't know if like people are going to realize like, oh, policies like that that Joe Biden did tout, including like being anti-fascist in the sense that he's running against Trump, like are those going to trickle down <laughs> or are we just going to say, yeah, Democrats, let's go Democrats, <laughs> another four years of Democrats, because I think that if Biden wins and his presidency is unimpressive in terms of a, you know, real progressive action, I don't think he'll get another four years, you know, if saying if he wins, you know, I think, um, no, they're not going to learn their lesson because they never learned their lesson. <laughs> and they're even 
lot of a lot of centrists right now, people who work for the New York Times and whatnot, they're they're tweeting out right now. This is why progressive policy politics don't work because because Joe Biden's winning. So so in other words, like all of the wrong lessons taken away from this. The the lesson is neoliberalism is great, Obama's ism, Clintonism is great. If COVID didn't happen, I think that Trump would have wiped the floor with Biden. And that's something that I don't think the Democrats are going to consider. And I don't think mm-hmm. that presidency is going to be very impressive because he has a record as a politician where he's not on some progressive policies. And I mean, he might be in rhetoric on the campaign trail, but I don't, again, I, I hope he is as president, but I don't, I'm not terribly optimistic. I think that is what's going to lead to another Trump. Nobody's asked, oh, how, how is it that you went from eight years of Obama governing like a neoliberal? Passing a right-wing health healthcare plan, expanding wars, doing TPP, bailing out Wall Street in the wake of the Great Recession, while 5.1 million people got kicked out of their homes. Gee, why did people not vote for Hillary Clinton, who was going to be his successor? Well, maybe because people felt like, wow, you know, this guy obviously isn't representing me. She's not going to represent me. Yeah, people said, oh, I'm just going to roll the dice on Trump. Or I'm just gonna not, or I'm just gonna sit it out and not vote for anyone at all, because I'm left behind by the Republican establishment. I'm left behind by the Democratic establishment, and this is why the Democratic Party really needs to get its act together. They really need to embrace a platform, and they need to embrace policies that the polls show that people want. People want Medicare for all. People want a living wage and a Green New Deal. They want to tax the rich, right? They want to end these wars and that's right infrastructure pro, uh, project that you know hires millions of people and, and rebuilds this country so and, and i think the the reason why so many people are in this identity crisis that we talked about earlier is because there's no like in, in terms of like institutional power there's no force that's representing that like i mean you have mm-hmm. leftists like us but <laughs> we don't have a lot of political power we, we're not you know sponsored by anyone so you really, you really need that, and you need the Democratic Party to realize that. And I mean, look at the end of the day, they're they're taking money from Wall Street, they're taking money from the military-industrial complex, and they're taking money from the healthcare industry. So I think until you decouple the big money from the Democratic Party, um, you're just going to continue to have this party that basically says, "Hey, you know, at least at least we're not that guy. You know, we're dropping bombs, but we're doing them with a rainbow." <laughs> so hopefully, we can transcend that i mean hey if it happens in a biden administration I, i'd be fine with that i'd gladly take it but we'll have to see what happens yeah absolutely so i guess for now we have nothing left 